0: I think that at the heart of my philosophy is much more libertarianism than, uh, than, uh, Well, that's the fashionable word these days, I guess. Liber- a I'm conservative sure. is no longer just that, he's a libertarian. and well, always has been. Because I- how do we call a liberal? You know, someone very profoundly once said, many years ago, that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of, li- of liberalism. And what is fascism? Fascism is private ownership private enterprise but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative so-called is the one that says, less government, get off my back, get out of my pocket, and let me have more control of my own destiny.
1: It's our time to take a stand. Remember who with Ryan and Redmond on We Are America Radio, your number one source for political talk and government opinion. And my name is Justin Ryan. And I'm David Redmond. David, dog days of summer, uh, but in Trump world, nothing ever gets slow. Um, We've had now, there's so many stories competing. When you're kind of like a weekly or bi-weekly show like we are, we can't uh, tweet out every last happening. But uh, with this White House, something big is always going on, and on consecutive Fridays, not only did the president lose his press secretary, um, Sean Spicer, but then also next um, lost um, uh, his chief of staff, Rance Priebus, former RNC chair. Um, and, David, you think this was sort of an establishment play that didn't really work?
0: Right. I was surprised he added Rance Priebus in the beginning at all. And I think it was a play to the GOP establishment trying to mend ties, have sort of a diplomatic missionary to them. And clearly he's not working on health care. So maybe Trump said time to go, not working out, not doing us any favors. So – you know he he's on his way out now
1: and he's gone and um not everyone thinks that Rance Priebus um is the most effective um establishment figure or um an effective chairman of the party he's, he's not been the worst chairman- either not the worst He's not, and he's, he's. Interesting thing to do, of course. He's been through a bunch of election cycles now. I mean, he was there in the pits in 2009, where um, you know the Democrats had an 80 seat majority in the House, made a 60-40 in the uh, in the Senate. Um, you know, lost the presidency badly in 08 to Obama. He built things up um, with a good 10 election, uh, again, a failure in 12 and a success in 14. So we've seen sort of the good and the bad and the ups and downs of political life and the GOP c- clawing back from its, uh, its cellar. But I think Trump, as you said, I think just got impatient with a while with what, what he would probably deliver. And I think on balance, David, Priebus was was, was asked, had outsized expectations about what he could sell and bring over the line to the Congress that were more um, you know of the establishment.
0: Yeah, and right before he was named chief of staff, too, he, he denied that it was a possibility. And I, it seemed like he kind of believed it. Maybe he was just downplaying it on purpose in case it didn't happen. But uh, I think he had realistic expectations. But there were high hopes for him and a tough job. And he kind of was sharing with Steve Bannon as well, who recently, he's kind of been quarantined. He's not fired, but there's been reports of those spats they've had behind the scenes, very heated. And so both of those original teacher staffs are on their way out. Now he's put a literal general in charge. So I think that might be more to his style and liking.
1: Mission to see what happens. And then, of course, you lose your press secretary. Losing your press secretary, Davis is more common. It's not that unusual. Um, it usually happens um, within two years of any president being in office, sometimes four. Some of the best press secretaries left after uh, a couple of years because they just got sick of it.
0: Yeah, it's prone, um, it's prone to burnout. And so we've accelerated that about times four, right? So six months and out. <laughs>
1: No doubt. And there was a sense that Sean Spicer um, for sure got, uh, you know, off to a, a, a bad start with the whole, you know, how many people are at the inaugural alternative facts thing. Um, and it, w- it was like war from the word go. It, you know, my sense is that every press secretary has to has to um, call a truce at some point with parts of the media because you just can't have permanent Conflict on every single thing on every single day, um, but Spicer, as portrayed on Saturday Night Live, which never he never really shook that image. Um, you know, he was a good Republican operative for a lot of, a lot of years, and he was thrust into this maelstrom of the of the you know sort of, gosh, this White House that doesn't know what communications is going on. But part of it had to do with with mooch, right? Part of it had to do completely with. Um, with what uh, Mooch was coming in, and he wanted no part of that.
0: Yeah, he, he was hoping, waiting around for a promotion, didn't get it. It got to the uh, the new guy coming in, Sacramoni, right? Moochie? Everyone calls him Mooch now, which is an interesting nickname. Scaramucci, come on. He's from, yeah. he's from
1: Long Island, Dave. What's wrong, What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I'm I'm with you? I had his name What's until everyone started saying huh? his nickname. not <laughs> with you.
0: But he is definitely, he studied Trump's style. He fits right in. He's a New Yorker through and through right up there with Trump and very special people and i think trump's going to be very satisfied you know for better or worse with his job performance for sure
1: it'll be really odd to see what happens i don't i don't know david why the mooch was chosen sure. Uh, because of loyalty. This is a guy who two years ago was who was saying, you know, on on cable TV that that Trump's terrible. He'll never make it. And then he kind of got on side starting um, last spring, you know, about, you know, 15, 16 months ago on on Team MAGA. Um, and then his, you know, his wife. Divorced in this week because uh, at 38 months pre- weeks pregnant, wow! Because of his just his his uh, political ambitions to want to do this job, and I don't know that. Um, I mean, that's that's neither here nor there, but I don't know why this is the guy that's going to be the communication. Guy. All these New Yorkers, no offense, but <laughs> what do you have against heart- us? Well, the heartland is where he won all these votes. Now all these New Yorkers in the White House. And Why is he a communications guy? Why pick the mooch? What, what does he bring to the table?
0: It's an interesting choice, almost like if you're running a reality TV show, you'd definitely hire him for that spot. And some of those he's had some choice words that he didn't take off the record. He apparently didn't care if they were on the record to, I think, a New York Post reporter. Uh, a lot of profanity-laced tirades against the outgoing chief of staff and maybe some other people uh so very interesting style, very interesting if you can call it a strategy um I'm not sure what the play is there, but I guess it's just uh all all guns at hand, all hands on deck, and it's very interesting. we've never seen this before,
1: and these are not people who are getting along with. Um you know the, the people at the White House who are you know part of the family right, and that 's where this whole kind of New York mafia thing like gets in because you got Kushner and Ivanka or Jovanka as they've been been be begin to be called, and um you know they're untouchable. Um, I think that in general Javanka, they're not the problem with this White House. I mean, they I think are, are political neophytes, but they're not dumb people. Uh, Jared in particular, I think, is very sensible in the way he is explained certain things, where he's pursued certain things. But you know, he is the secretary of everything they tell him because he has the president's ear on everything, not Rance Priebus. Usually traditionally the chief of staff has that, David. Rance Pribus was in the outs. He was not down with Sean Spicer, not down with Kirchner, not down down with, um, uh, with D. Cannon, and, you know, he
0: just got pushed out. Well, he may have the president's ear, but clearly he's not directing everything because I, if you put Kirshner in the front and he was speaking to the public more often, he'd have a very different style, I imagine. So no one's really going to stop Trump from being Trump. And, you know, it, it benefited him greatly in the, uh, during the campaign and the election, but now that you're actually present and governing, he has changed his style somewhat, but it's still, there's always that bit there that kind of brings down 99% of the speech goes great, and he gives that 1% to the media that they can spin around as negative as possible, and it, it, it sometimes comes off poorly, even if you understand, he's often joking, very tongue-in-cheek, not everyone gets it, but even if you do get it, it, it can be cringeworthy at times, because you know how it's going to play out, you know how it's going to be spun around, and totally avoid, avoidable, and you can make the media's job of going after the president much harder if if you just avoid some of those things.
1: And, David, this week you were almost at one of his gaps, or, I mean, at rallies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was a speech to, uh, they changed it to law enforcement only, so we were not invited to law enforcement. But we almost made the guest list. They were asking for our names and email addresses. Almost made it to the event. But I had a lot of weekend plans, so it, it turned out to work out all right. But uh, he spoke to law enforcement. could have been a huge home run. Instead, it was only triple because he had some of his own goals there. But he was talking to the police saying he supports them 100%. The electorate's looking for a change. They're tired of the political leadership dumping all over the police. We, we can criticize and, and advocate for a better police force and always constantly improve, but if you look at stats, it shows the vast majority of interactions are peaceful. Nothing goes wrong. You can't fault them for anything. So, you know, what we saw under the Obama era, that obviously wasn't making anyone's lives better. Whether, whatever, whether you were professional police or you were a civilian, no one's situation was getting better by by what they were doing with the riots and assassinating police officers. So now we're going in a different direction. So that's really the big story. Aside from the rhetorical mistakes the president makes, that's the big picture. People support that, and I don't think they're going to stop supporting that just because of a couple offhanded remarks.
1: It's a constituency that he should be, um, uh, you know, Seeking out, and he has, a lot of presidents down the years, uh, both Republican and Democrat, have have had successful presidencies because they have uh, nurtured relationships with police, police commissioners, um, and uh, um, police union reps um, of various kinds. Even now, I think.
0: Speaking of that, there was one a pretty funny moment during the speech where he um, he called out some of these dopey mayors across the country that don't quite get enforcing immigration law and they refuse to help the federal government enforce it. And he uh, he was clearly referencing de Blasio at one point, and the police officers were applauding and laughing. And he goes, oh, we, we are you talking about anyone specific? And uh, <laughs> de, de Blasio, not too popular in, in, in the area. He took a flight right after a police officer got assassinated. He went to the G20 not to speak to, dip, to diplomats or anything like that. He was pro- somehow protesting as a sitting mayor in America at the G20, where our own president was speaking with other world leaders. So I don't know what his thought process is. If he gets reelected, that's kind of insane. So I don't know who's voting for him because – Please, nominate any other liberal you want. I don't care. There has to be someone better. There has to be. And it boggles my mind, but, you know, there's a a real potential he could get reelected as
1: mayor. There was, um, of course, that famous moment where all the cops, um, when he gave a speech, they all turned around, all the boys in blue, um, and and protested some of the things de Blasio was doing. Um, But Trump, you know, made a decent speech out there. Of course, the soundbite was, you know, more of a – an embarrassing one, an own goal, as you said, but hope as a constituency that he can do something with because, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we've had crime uh, go down this country pretty steadily for basically 35 years and most um, uh, dramatically in New York um, since the early 90s.
0: And I, and I do recall in my middle school days there was a huge problem with gangs and they did a big crackdown and they, the problem largely went away and now you've seen a resurgence of it over – because the last eight years are – Our enforcement policies were were off the charts, wasn't consistent. The federal government was ignoring their own laws, and they didn't go through Congress to change and make them better. They just ignored it, and the gang problem resurged. And now we have a president who I was pretty impressed after those vicious MS-13 murders happened. The federal response was really, really quick, quicker than usual, and I was pretty impressed by that.
1: And MS-13 is, is a horrible, horrible uh, thing in a lot of different cities, a lot of different carnage. These people are afraid of almost no one, um, in many cases, not the least bit afraid of police. So um, some improvement in that situation is one, just really important.
0: One quick thing, too, it wasn't necessarily a negative, but President Trump went into excruciating detail at parts of, it, of some of MS-13, how they operate and how they torture people. And that was also striking to hear from a sitting president and – I don't, I'm not counting that as a strike against him, and I think he he did it on point to, you know, to put his jokes in perspective. This is the viciously evil people we're dealing with, and it was very striking to me. And the media didn't even really cover that. They didn't, wouldn't didn't even criticize him on it. They didn't want to cover how evil these people truly are.
1: Oh, terrible! But any kind of. Um... Pragmatic approach that I think that Trump's going to take when it com- help- comes to helping local law enforcement against uh, MS-13 and people like that is just is just really really important. It's just a it's a vote getter. It's a winner. People want safer streets. Not everyone thinks cops are terrible, and um, they will as a result uh, I think have have some some just regulatory and and small local policy wins on that. What well, was going on this week, David? Because we've had a couple of false starts on healthcare once again. Just a couple, uh, you and I, just a couple, just a couple. I mean, David and I were pretty skeptical that the initial uh, repeal and replace was going to pass about uh, ten days ago. Sure enough, it fell. Um, David and I felt that um, you know uh, some of the, the the approach of the bill was probably not quite right, but that it might have been a push in the right direction. I think, David, you had been c- come down a- uh, against the bill. I might have been sort of for it as an incremental thing to try to rein in Medicare spending, desperately needed to do. But then, of course, they voted for um, uh, to reopen debate. Whoopee. They Fantastic. barely, they barely that, reopened debate. Yeah. That's somehow a legislative win to reopen debate. Fantastic,
0: but it almost didn't that, happen. That it was a cycle. very close vote.
1: Um, and then what happens, David? Um, think about to the, to the drawing board and it was a different set of characters who who killed uh, uh, the bill. instead of it being um, you know Rand Paul and um, a senator from from Nevada, you know Ted Cruz and whoever else, then it was sort of more uh, the GOP moderates came back like McCain, like uh, Portman. Um, and all that. And I feel like this one went down, David, for different reasons, but same problem.
0: And here's where the vote, the initial vote against that version of the bill was justified, because this, they called their bluff, right? So you had six out of the seven senators who voted for the same exact bill in 2015 when Obama was president. They voted for that repeal, full repeal. Now when they actually have a chance, President Trump sitting at his desk waiting to sign it, they refuse to approve it. because. And this bill had a two-year window where they could have a replacement. So it gives time for debate, gives time for democratic input, and they're they're too scared to actually pass a full repeal. And called everyone's bluff out on it. I think that's where the victory is. And let's see what happens to them in, in the midterms in 2018. That should be very interesting because a lot of bluffs are called. And, you know, it, it's, it's easy to talk about the political strategy involved, but, you know, we have a current law that's, that's very unconstitutional in my view, regardless of what the Supreme Court ruled. And that people are hurting from it. The president, the White House was trotting out families who are hurt by it, obviously. And, yeah, some people are getting subsidized, but the subsidies are up because the employment market was so destroyed people need the subsidies now where a healthy economy, a healthy society, fully functioning adults have a job that covers the bare essentials like health insurance, and they've regulated that out of existence. And so in the meantime, while we're waiting for everyone to get their act together, it, there's a lot of pain involved,
1: financial pain. And it's tough where this is going to go, but I feel like I'm repeating myself, David. I still think that there's um, always daylight when it comes to Obamacare. A lot of um, conservative Trump voters and others, basically they've been wanting this and – Working uh, the political levers and electioneering for the last seven years to make this happen, and when it comes right down to it, there is a, a ferocious uh, backlash against it, despite plenty of polling saying that um, that uh, Obamacare is unpopular. I think it what it comes down to um, on a number of levels is number one, the fact that when you have something institutionalized that has the perception, David, of being free. Obamacare has the perception of out there in the country from a lot of people. I think low-information voters, if I may call them that, just think that someone else is paying for it, and you damn well better not take that away.
0: Well, also, I, it's the fact that they need—they're in desperate need of a subsidy because they can't get full employment because of all the other bad laws that have been passed. So that they—it's hard for people to make that connection. So they're just appreciative they're getting what they think is government help. Meanwhile, the reason it's harder for them to find that job that would cover everything is because of the government. So government solving its own problems it created, which is a vicious cycle we've seen. You can be pointed out throughout recent history, and we, we can get to a better point. People are afraid of free market solutions. They're they're being constantly bombarded by al- alternate messages against the free market. Capitalism is blamed for problems it didn't even cause because we're, we're not really practicing it for the last 30, 40 years. Clearly, not capitalism. It's something else, but people... Any problem that happens is capitalism's fault. Anything positive, the, the government and these other systems are trying to take credit. So it's a vicious cycle. We've had a recent example. Tommy Lauren, I think she debated um, Chelsea Handler at some political con event or something, and she's getting heat for where she often deserves heat, don't get me wrong, but she's on her parents' health care plan because she's not 26 yet, which is I don't count that against her because her parents are paying those rates to, to have her covered whether she uses it or not. So why should she go off that because she's being forced by law? And if she did get off it, she'd be buying these mandated minimums and premiums and deductibles that are through the roof. So then her family would be double paying. So I really don't fault her for paying extra unnecessarily. But it just shows you people, you put that structure in and now because people are criticizing it, they're also being faulted for complying with the law. It's, It's kind of hypocritical.
1: It totally is, and the whole idea that you know capitalism you know caused all this is a is a bunch of hooey, as those of us in the South say as well. Um, what's going to happen next is I I think at some point they're going to make a further run at this. They're going to chip away at the at the support for Obamacare, try to highlight some of its. It's things that are – and the fact of the matter is that a lot of Americans just think that 26 million people are going to be thrown off the rolls. Um, that's not going to happen. They're going to have a replacement of some kind. Um, we're going to have um, –
0: And also you know, the CBO, they've come out – they, uh, <laughs> their predictions aren't that good statistically. And they've said if the law has changed, if the health care – the individual mandates are repealed and the minimums are repealed, insurers would provide what we had before and maybe new innovative stuff. Coverage that gives more options, that's more affordable, and they didn't even factor that in. So this $26 million getting knocked off is nonsense. There would be new plans pretty quickly rolled out that would, if they chose to bought it out of their own free will, right? That's an interesting concept. That would be made available, and it wouldn't be as devastating as the CBO has predicted. And their track record of predictions is not accurate. You can look it up.
1: And the CBO, of course, was never really trusted during the Obama years. People didn't really care what they thought. The media didn't really care. The CBO thought, you know, it's kind of negative. It's kind of pessimistic. Some of the the things that they, you know, uh, forecasts they make. And suddenly, with Trump in office, all all of a sudden, the uh, CBO is absolute gospel, not to be questioned, not to be second-guessed. Funny when the uh, shoe's under the foot. Um, David, I mean – I don't know what's going to happen with healthcare. I still think they're going to have some other bite at that apple sometime down the line. And I just don't know what it's going to look like. To but President,
0: to President Trump's credit, he, he's not letting it go. Right? He's calling these people out. He wants them. You got to do something. Improve something. Pass something. You have. You're supposed to have the seats to do it, and he, he's he's really fighting for the American people because the vast majority do want something to change for the better. And he's on that front. He's doing very well. Um, but, yeah, we have to see. We have to see what happens. I think this is going to play big time in the in the midterms, depending on how this plays out.
1: It'll be very odd to see how it does play out. Are we going to have eventually, ladies and gentlemen, uh, basically Trumpian-like uh, GOP primary challengers? That was going to come down to. My sense is that uh, the president's political star has always been going in a, in a downward a direction, not a spiral, but a downward direction over time. People are tired of him, and well, you know, he has this this small bit of of, uh, of support. Are we going to look at that kind of
0: primary situation, David? Possibly. I don't know how successful they are because you do need a minimum amount of financing. We talk about it's possible to win with less financing, but you still need a certain amount to reach enough voters and it's basic math. But uh, a winning message, you know, a sincere message can absolutely win out. Right? Bernie Sanders almost got got Hillary out of there. He wasn't a real Democrat. He switched right back to the independent party. Not that we agree with him on everything, but it shows you the momentum can be there, On and he, he can get a lot of small donations that add up, multiply over time. So it's really those big financiers. Obviously, they seem to want a single-payer system. Can enough individual voters support so-called renegade candidates to really make a, cha- a real change for the people in the system?
1: I don't know what what else Trump can do, because I think a lot of his threats seem kind of idle. Um, How quickly does a president become uh, kryptonite even to his own party? It can happen in certain... Um, uh, quarters, but they're rarefied. Uh, Midterms can be a funny thing. They're always tough for the non-incumbent party. Democrats, I think, obviously are are a very good chance of picking up seats. But David, the math's very hard in the Senate, crucially, because the Democrats are are defending a lot more seats than Republicans are next year.
0: Right. I really, I'm not, at this time, not forecasting any major gains for the Democrats, if, if any. I'm sure they'll pick up a couple, perhaps unexpected ones, but the, as it stands now, even despite the Republican failures of, of improving health care insurance, the, uh, the the outlook right now is not very good for them. A lot can change in the next year or so. But, I mean, I think a lot of them are being overly optimistic, you know, and they're messaging they want a better deal. We just had eight years to give us a better deal, and you obviously failed by admitting it by having this new slogan. So Trump's only been in for six months. You still have Obamacare in place. So, so what's this better deal? I mean, you better have the new candidates that are going to do it because – your current leadership, uh, they're not going to sell that message. It's not going to work.
1: The interesting is that uh, President Obama with Obamacare in 2009 and 2010, he really did leave it up to the Congress to develop a real proposal um, and then sort of move on that from there, do what uh, Democratic health care officials want with the majority they had, uh, make it a priority for the president, but you know he's not going to leave the pack on this. Trump did something similar where he left it up to congressional Republicans to kind of put together a plan, and both times, as we said on our show, both parties are, are divided uh, uh, are, uh, with the issue of health care, B- but both parties within themselves are also divided internally about health care for many, many different reasons, um, but... Uh, Trump did sort of a sort of similar game plan. Like you guys figure it out, you bring it to me. Now he's saying, David, I will I will sign anything. <laughs> just give it to me. I'm I'm ready to I'm right up to sign. Like yeah. pen in hand, I literally almost said that. Right. Um, which but is that, a, that is that's not government... a good bargaining point because then he's setting he's saying, you know, I'm not going to really veto anything bad you send to me. I just want a bill.
0: Yeah, that might not be the right message you want to send out, but that is how our government's supposed to work. The president is not a dictator, despite some abuses over our long history, but. Congress isn't doing its job, and both presidents, to their credit, you know, at times they said, Congress, this is your time to shine. You have to do it. It's not up to me. I, I you know, presidents do tend to abuse the executive orders, but Trump has used the executive orders within reason, I think, and he reached that limit, and now it's up to Congress, and Congress isn't budging fast enough, and that's where we are now. That's the problem. And if they can't get the job done, we'll see what happens. You have a chance in 2018 to get some more people in there and hopefully move the needle forward.
1: I can't tell what the the deal is with with the skinny repeal. Um, I hated mean, that. Just just
0: the name, I hated it. It was clearly a gimmick name, and I mean, probably again better to pass it than not pass it. But then McCain comes back. You know, glad he came out of surgery all right. But then he just came back and kind of hypocritically, hypocritically voted against it, and it didn't didn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: Uh, it was was funny thing to have John McCain as a media darling again first time in a long time David I'm not sure I know why other than media bias against the uh, repeal of Obamacare that's pretty much 100% the whole thing I mean but I mean even the skinny you know it's something like uh, they were saying that that premiums are going to go up you know 20% how is the left, David, going to moralize the country about premiums going up 20% where they've gone up 405% since this law was enacted? How do they have any foot to stand on with this?
0: The spin I see now is that it's all still GOP's fault. They sabotaged the original Obamacare, and they refused to fix it. Well, the fixes is we're, we're, we're attached to a stone that's sinking. You've got to cut the rope that's holding us to the sinking stone, right? It's, it's, it's unfixable. You've got to change it from the ground up. I mean I don't know what this really Obamacare was designed to get us to single payer and Trump threw a huge wrench into the plan by becoming president and now everyone's having difficulty coming to grips with it so this this whole process of skyrocketing costs that was supposed to get us to single payer right I think you've talked to Jonathan Gruber he's a pretty honest fellow to his detriment and he'll, he'll tell you the stupidity of the American voter you weren't smart enough to approve single payer so this was a transition to get us there And that's why there's so much pain, because that pain is designed to drive you to single-payer. And there's a large chunk of Americans that aren't buying that single-payer argument. And I don't see how it's ethical to force them into that system.
1: Matt, the system that we're headed for, ladies and gentlemen, that is not alarmism. That has been the admitted on tape um, you know, intent of a lot of Democratic lawmakers and policymakers when it came to Obamacare. I mean, a very tough road to get this thing right. Even if a principle of universal coverage isn't necessarily a bad thing, it's how and when you do it. We have been reduced in this healthcare debate, this complicated debate, to too many dumb slogans like if you like your plan you can keep your plan like um, won't add one dime the deficit like we have to um, read the bill to, we have to vote for the bill to find out what's in it like skinny repeal like 26 million off the rolls um, you know they have all these these um, you know poor people unfortunately you know in wheelchairs and so forth and amputees going out, out in front of the, the um, congressional offices know with with cameras in tow all of this has been blown up when you have some hard difficult policy making to make not only both sides don't agree on but internal divisions on both sides don't agree on and when you're not in charge you're not a majority all you all you need to do is focus the firepower on the guys in charge and don't know what they're doing but diversify what you think on this issue of, of health care Read around, it's complicated, but what it comes down to is David and I preach for two years on this show is wider access, wider access, wider access. That is always going to be part of the solution. David, last words on healthcare. Anything else?
0: Just free market solutions. It works in the technology realm, it can work in healthcare, education, housing, healthcare, all skyrocketing because the government's gotten way too deeply involved, and other sectors that they're not so over regulatory. The prices get you know cheaper every year, more affordable, better technology coming out. It's plain as day to see. There's just a lot of mixed messaging out there to make you think something else. Uh, so think think it through. Compare it. Very simple in my mind. We just got to get the message out there.
1: Not a lot of time left on our show on the real world, Ryan and Redmond, David, real quick, we've had a couple of big scalps recently we talked about, like Sean Spicer, like um, Rance Priebus. What happens with Jeff Sessions.
0: That's a very interesting question. I have ne- i can't believe the president's been so outspoken, outspoken against him. I don't know if that's supposed to be motivational, demotivational. I have no idea. It's kind of uncomfortable. There's a lot of policy I disagree with on Jeff Sessions, but he's a competent person for the job. Just disagree with him on policy. But I can't imagine how publicly he's being handled. So if he stays on after after that being torrented by Trump on Twitter, that's tough. If he's fired after that, that comes off kind of uh, – Dicey, but uh, he might be on his way out. I, I don't know how long he'd be on, staying on anyway. But I mean, maybe there's probably an alternate way to handle it.
1: There has been some rumors going around that they're kind of uh, putting um, Rudy Giuliani into the pipeline to take over for him. I think that has died down the last couple of days. Jeff Sessions was one of pres- then candidate Trump's earliest and most vociferous and most credible supporters. Uh, there was a lot of talk, David, in, in uh, the spring and summer of 2016 um, that uh, if you didn't uh, support Trump, that you – you thought he wasn't a real conservative, then you'd then be accused of asking whether Jeff Sessions was a real conservative, as a, a long-time um, Southern conservative Republican. Well, we don't think Jeff Sessions is a conservative, then, if, you, if, if he supports him. And now those same people, um, Trump supporters, and including the president, obviously think that um, uh, Jeff Sessions is, is Crow. The idea, David, that Jeff Sessions shouldn't have recused himself – from uh, the the Russia collusion case, is nonsense. Of course Jeff Sessions should have. He met with them. It was on record. There was no other legal thing to do except recuse himself, and the president uh, hammered him for it.
0: And that's what's unfortunate. That's the point you're going to pick with him? I don't know. That was clearly the right call by all precedent. And most of the other things that people don't like about Jeff Sessions are policy-based, but that doesn't seem to be why he's on, almost on his way out. So you got to be careful on that front. you got to be very careful, and eventually we're going to have a different AG, and hopefully it's handled properly, so we start off on the right foot.
1: We need to see what happens with the Russia collusion thing. Uh, for a long time, um, David and I weren't sure if it was a nothing burger or not. It seemed like um, the Trump Jr., uh, meetings were uh, a big deal and inflammatory, and why was the White House lying to us. We still don't really know why, but um, the uh, the story has faded a little bit. Um,
0: it Damon, wasn't it nothing, seems- burger. Van Jones confirmed it for us. So I was leaning that way, and it pretty much confirmed, even the big story with uh, Trump Jr. It was a meeting with the Russian lawyer, and it really didn't reach the level of illegality. So faded really quickly after that.
1: One of the big flashpoints this week, of course, David, is the transgender ban. Um, at first, David, I really thought that this was just a distraction away from health care, that Trump knew that this was going to be a white-hot issue. There was going to be a lot of response to it, a lot of um, uh, anger on the left and the uh, LGBT community. Um, how do you evaluate that decision? I don't even know how to think about it.
0: Yeah, the timing certainly seems like it was used as a distraction, but I don't – it, what, how, whatever reason it was rolled out that way, I, I don't like how it was handled. Um, you need a screening policy for the military. The military is not a make-work program. But uh, the, just to have a blanket ban over Twitter issued, not the way you want to handle it, really. I mean, it's a, it's a very tough issue. That's a tough issue to cover medically. And there is a spectrum. You know, different individuals need different treatment, whatever the, whatever the issue is personally for them and the military can screen out people on a more neutral basis. And if you happen to screen out more trans individuals for whatever reason, as long as it's been determined by courts to be a fair screening process, then that, that's how it works out. But a blanket ban, in those specific words, the way he worded it on Twitter, probably not the way it's going to end up. It's going to be challenging court, and a lot of it probably would be overturned. But it, it's a dicey issue. Shouldn't? I don't like it being used as a political football. That's not good for our military, but it it It's just kind of crazy that way in these times
1: What I don't understand is is how to frame the issue David is this basically a civil rights issue of whether they can serve in the military um and move away as we have from a don't ask don't tell policy for gays um do we um how do we address this this trans issue or Is it just a military readiness issue that I don't care what any social scientists or any, any liberal um, living in San Francisco thinks about all this. This is what the generals think is best for the armed services. I don't know how to approach
0: this. I would lean to the readiness aspect of it, but serving in the military isn't a civil right. And even though you can somehow be drafted, it's not a civil right to serve in it voluntarily. So very interesting policy. Um, to say the least. But we've gotten the far left to go from protesting against Bush's wars that were authorized by Congress to now being viciously mad that they can't voluntarily sign up to serve in the wars that still exist. So we've come full circle, and it's just – it's insane.
1: Keep an eye on that issue, ladies and gentlemen, because it's probably going to fade a little bit in terms of its importance. Like David, it's probably going to get watered down to a degree. It's not going to be um, you know, implemented in the kind of harshness that uh, was demonstrated, or it might be complete reversal on it. It may very well have been, ladies and gentlemen, we're not sure. It just may very well have been a distraction from the more critical uh, health care bill. Um but uh keep on that issue because it's an interesting one that does bring about you know fundamental questions um not only about fairness but military readiness and what to what degree and what ways do you approach that issue and what do you? find to be the most important factors or not. A lot of people don't know a damn thing about the United States military um, have very strong feelings about this, um, and I think we can sometimes discredit some of those as, as not that credible. Um, and then I want to know what, what, what chiefs of staff are saying and, and what um, what commanders are saying about all this. But we will see more about that next week on The Real World with Ryan Redman. Follow us on Twitter at Ryan and Red and old shows on soundcloud.com slash Ryan and Red. We'll see you later. Ain't it fun? in mind the